and consistently walk according to it. Those who are not just hearers of the word only, but doers. So we thank you for it in Jesus' name. We thank you for utterance today that we'd speak what it is the Spirit of God is saying and that the people's ears would be anointed to hear just what it is the Spirit of God is saying from His holy written word. In Jesus' name we pray. All of God's people that agreed with that real loud said, Amen. Amen. Now, Now shake hands with two or three people and then you can be seated. open our Bibles this morning. Let's open our Bibles this morning to Hebrews the 10th chapter and the 30, uh, 30th verse. Hebrews the 10th chapter and the 30th verse, if you would. Hebrews the 10th chapter and the 30th verse. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. The Lord will judge his people. Now, notice the Lord will judge his people. Now, we've been on the theme of revival for the last many services. And uh, we just stay on that until the Spirit of God directs us some other way. I remember the message of revival is God's judgment together with his goodness. The Bible says in the book of Romans, Consider therefore now the goodness and the severity of God. Certainly we want to center in on the goodness of God. Don't misunderstand me now. We want to center in on God's goodness. Uh, But there is also a judgment side to the Lord. The Bible says that his, His anger or His judgment is just for a moment. His mercy endures forever. So certainly we ought to center in on His goodness. And we ought to center in on His grace and His mercy, which we do around here. But, you know, you also need to realize that there is a judgment side to God. And, uh, and so that's that, that, that moment of his, his anger or that moment of His judgment, that's what we're looking at now. And, uh, you know, we need to look at that from, from time to time. And really, we need to keep that up before us. If nothing else, it'll motivate us to live, to live holy and live right, you see. And that's one thing that I feel has been missing from, from the, the message of pulpits to the to churches is this, this side of God, this judgmental side of God. Now, thank God for His goodness, and that, that's good. But you can preach the goodness of God to the point that, that people lose a, 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 a good and a right fear of the Lord. You understand that? And when you lose that fear of the Lord, then... then you see holiness drops and then you don't get the presence of God like, like he'd like it, you see. So we're on the judgment of the Lord. So if you're visiting today, I want you to know that we don't just center in on the judgment of the Lord, but we need to talk about it from time to time and realize that it's one of the main messages that has to do with revival. 
Now, on Wednesday night, we began talking about the judgment of the Lord more in depth. And I told you Wednesday night, I'll repeat it, that, you know, there's major judgments in Scripture, like at the cross. And, and that's, that's the one that is just so wonderful and great, you know, where Jesus died for us. And, and, and then, of course, buried, rose from the dead. But that's past, you know, and we, we, we center in on that. We talk about that a lot, and we should, and we do. Uh, we talked about, mentioned the judgment seat of Christ, the tribulation judgment, judgment of the nations, the great white throne judgment, the judgment of fallen angels and all that, but that is yet future, you see. And what I just felt impressed of the Lord to do here in these services is look at the here and now. How does God judge people, both sinners and saints, in the here and the now as it pertains to the life in which we live? And we just read and we noted that the Lord will judge His people. And uh, so if you're born again, if you've repented of your sins, placed your faith in the Lord Jesus, you're a saved person, you know, then uh, you also need to realize that the Lord will, will judge us, you see. Now, He definitely, certainly will judge us at the judgment seat of Christ, which is future. But he'll also judge us now in the here and the now. And uh, I'll say a little bit more about that in just a moment. But I wanted to also review with you God's method of operation in judgment. God's, <coughs> excuse me, God's method of operation in judgment. And this pertains to the sinner and the saint. Here's how God operates. Warning is given before judgment. God doesn't just come in there and judge something. He gives warning ahead of time. Warning is given before His judgment. And then God will typically inform what the judgment will be. And then time to repent is given. God gives us time to repent and change. And then upon repentance, then God's judgment stops. If there is no repentance and the time runs out, then God will judge. You understand that? Then God will judge. Now notice 1 Corinthians 11.31. You need to look at this. 1 Corinthians 11.31. We're looking today at God judging His people. That would be you and me. If we're, if we're born again, you know. Now notice here, in His method of operation also uh, pertains to to uh, sinners. God doesn't just come in and judge sinners. He gives them time to repent. Didn't He give Nineveh time to repent before He came in and judged it? Didn't He? And uh, didn't He give the whole earth time to repent before He flooded it? He gave them time. He gave, he gave anybody that wanted to could have got on that ark that Noah built. Now, um, notice here 1 Corinthians 11.31 If we would judge... If we would judge who? If we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Now, God, you know, He's going to judge us at that judgment seat of Christ, which is a judgment for believers when we'll all have to stand before the Lord Jesus and give account for what we've done as Christians here in, in the earth. How many of you know heaven's a free gift? You can't work your way into heaven. That's a free gift by, by receiving Jesus through what He did for us at the cross and, and, and being raised from the dead. But we will give account to Him at the, at the judgment seat of Christ. But that's future, you see. Now, now, there's no way to escape that. 
But you know what? We can escape God's judgment in the here and the now. If we'd what? Judge ourselves. If we'd judge ourselves, we'd not be judged. And I'll tell you this, if we judge ourselves in the here and the now and live right and do right, when we got to that judgment seat of Christ, there'd be reward for us and our works wouldn't get burned. Amen. You understand that? But you see, if we judge ourselves in the here and the now, God wouldn't, wouldn't judge us in the here and the now. Did you know God does not want to have to judge any of us in the here and the now? He wants us all to judge ourselves so we'd not be judged. Now, did you know that you have a built-in mechanism? You and I, we have a built-in mechanism to warn us to judge ourselves. I'm talking to saved people now. We have a built-in mechanism to warn us to judge ourselves. Now, hold your place in 1 Corinthians 11 and go over to 1 John, the third chapter. Go over to 1 John, the third chapter. Now, I want to point this out to you. A mechanism, a built-in mechanism that Christians have to warn us to judge ourselves. Look at 1 John 3 and 20. 1 John 3, 20. Notice this. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Notice what that built-in mechanism is. It's our heart, our spirit. You understand that when a Christian misses it, and does wrong. And how many of you would agree with me that you've experienced this yourself whenever you've missed it and done wrong? Just on the inside, there's a, ugh. Huh? Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? There's, ugh. Huh? You just, huh? And, and, and what is that? That's, that's your heart convicting you or condemning, however you want to say it. That's your heart. I'll put it this way. That's your heart letting you know that you need to judge yourself. How many's ever said something about somebody and no more than you said it? You, ugh. How many's ever listened to somebody talk on a little bit too long about somebody else and when you walk away from that conversation, you just, uh, huh? What is that? That's your heart. Letting you know you've missed it. We could even say it this way. You know, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit, He's on the inside, isn't He? He's in, he's in there. And, and, and it's the Spirit of God just bearing witness with, with your heart. You've missed it. You've missed it. So what do you do? Well, you judge yourself. How do you do that? Well, you just go before the Lord with, with a repentant heart. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, He's what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's First John 1, 9, right? And you just go to Him with that repentant heart, and you, you confess that. Say, Father, you know, I, I, I shouldn't have... I, they, they were talking bad about so-and-so, and, and, and I, I listened, I just listened too long, and, 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 and I shouldn't have done it. And I ask you, I, I confess that as sin. Them talk, listen, just me listening to somebody talk bad about somebody else, that was sin. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have listened to it. Please forgive me. I repent of it. Please forgive me. In the name of Jesus. And, and just that quick, the Lord will forgive you. And then, see, what did you do there? You've what? You've, what have you done? You've judged, you've judged yourself. Is that right? You've judged yourself. You've judged yourself. Therefore, there'll be no further judgment from the Lord. Now, what if 
we don't listen to that inward that when our heart condemns us or convicts us, oh, I shouldn't have done that. What if we don't listen to that and proceed on? Well, I believe our heart will continue to condemn us and, or convict us. I've watched this in people, and, I, and it's, I've really noticed it in myself as much as anybody else, that when you do wrong the first time, your heart... And then the second time, it's, but it's not as strong as the first. Do you get what, you get what I'm saying here now? And then, and then you miss it the third time, your heart condemns you, but it's not like that first time you missed it. How many knows what, what I'm talking about? I'll say it this way, it seems easier to sin the second time than it is the first. Did you know you can get to the point where you can proceed on and persist on in wrongdoing to the point where your conscience can even get, it can get so severe that your conscience can get seared and you can get to the point where you don't, you're, you've, you've desensitized yourself to listening to your heart. And sinning doesn't even bother you anymore. That's a dangerous place to be. So if you don't listen to your heart, then here's what the Lord does. Look at 1 Corinthians 11.32. 1 Corinthians 11.32. Notice this. Look at this. See, verse 31 said, If we judge ourselves, we'd not be judged. But look at verse 32. But when we are judged. So we're, we're we've not listening to our heart. We're not going to judge ourselves. So now the Lord's going to judge us. Talking about in the here and the now in which we live. When we are judged, we are... What's that next word? Chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. So the Lord, if we're not, if we're not going to listen to our heart and judge ourselves, now He's going to then do some other things that will hopefully get us to a point where we'll judge, where we'll judge ourselves. So when we are judged, we are chastened. Realize, say chastened. Yeah, we're chastened of the Lord. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, go to Hebrews, the 12th chapter and the 5th verse. Hebrews, the 12th chapter and the 5th verse. Let's look at this. Hebrews, the 12th chapter and the 5th verse. Notice this. Hebrews, the 12th chapter and the 5th verse. And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons? My son, do not despise the what? The chastening of the Lord. Now, here in this passage, it's going to explain to us what the chastening is. Now, if you read this in the Amplified Bible, it would, for that word chastening, it would say, My son, do not despise the chastening or the correction and discipline of the Lord. So when the Lord chastens us, what that means is, is that he begins to correct us and to discipline us. Nor be discouraged. Notice, don't be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. Sometimes the Lord may get a bit stern with you. Sometimes it takes that to get people to repent. Why does he want us uh, to repent so we're not condemned with the world? Didn't we just read that? Now notice verse 6. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges. That's just a stronger word. Punishes. How many of you that have children and your children's done wrong and, and you start out, you start out by lovingly correcting them and hopefully, wouldn't it be nice when your child missed it if they realized they did wrong and, and they corrected it without you ever having to say anything to them? Wouldn't that be the best case scenario? 
But if they don't, then what do you do? You come in there and you chasten them. What does that mean? You, you, you speak to them. You tell, you tell them, don't do that anymore. What if they don't listen? Then your correction gets a little more firm, doesn't it? And then, and then if they don't listen, then it can get a little more firm than, you know, maybe grounding them, you know. Is that right? And, you know, you might even have to, have to uh, uh, what's that old saying? You might even have to apply the Board of Education to the seat of understanding. Is that right? I taught in the school system for a long time. And, and, and uh, some of those kids, you know, now, now you have to listen to me. You know, sometimes I say things and people, they, they don't hear what I said. They listen carefully. To what I said. Some of the kids, not all of them, did I say all of them? I said some of them, they had so drugged up on Ritalin and this, that, and the other. Now, some of them needed it. But some of them didn't. Some of them, you know what they needed? Just a good, loving, healthy trip to the woodshed. That would have corrected, that would have, that would have fixed it all. Huh? But no, mommy and daddy's going to stand there and let Junior just call them all kinds of names and now, parents ought to love their children enough to discipline them. I didn't say beat the living tar out of them. Did I say that? The Bible talks about, you know, that if you don't discipline your children, it's a sign that you don't love them. Is that right? Did I say beat them up? Did I say abuse them? No, I would think most kids, hopefully you would never, I don't think it's, so, it's best to ever lay a hand on them. I mean, but sometimes you, you, you may have to. And there's a godly way to do that. But uh, notice in verse, it, it, right here, he scourges every son whom he receives. That word scourge, it just means a little stronger discipline. Now, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? That just means to train, correct, and discipline. But if you are without, now watch this, if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. See, if God's never dealing with you about anything, then check up and see if you're really saved. Now, verse 9, Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, see that word corrected, corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits, that's talking to God, and live? For they, that our natural parents, indeed for a few days chastened us as it seemed best to them. But he for our profit, anytime God chastens you, it's, it's because you needed it and it was with your best interest in mind. Anytime you discipline your children, it should be because you love them and because you have their best interest in mind. That we may be partakers of His, what? Of His what? Of His holiness. See, if there's no chastening, if there's no judgment, how does God judge us? If we don't judge ourselves, then the Lord judges us. How does He do that? By chastening us. To the, what, What's the end result? So that we'll keep living right. Now, no, now look at verse 11. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present. Now, I haven't met anybody yet, including myself, that likes to be corrected. Does anybody in here like, I mean, you just love to be corrected? I mean, your flesh. Anybody? I don't, do you like to be, how many likes to be corrected? I, I haven't found anybody yet that just loves to be told they were wrong. 
No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So you see, when we miss it, our heart condemns us. We need to judge ourselves and then none of this would go into effect. But, but, you know, let me put it this way. I haven't found anybody else, anybody yet, including myself, that just lived right ever since they got saved. Has anybody in here, you've never missed it at all? How many in here, every time your heart's condemned you, you've just been that quick to judge yourself? I don't know of anybody. So the Lord's there and he deals with us. And he corrects us and he teaches us and he trains us. And if that isn't there, if the Lord's not dealing with you at all, then you need to check up on yourself, see if you're even saved. But when he does these things, you need to realize that it is with our best interest in mind so that we'll get things right, get things straightened up, and so that we'll live holy and righteousness will prevail. Now, how does God judge us? If we'll not judge ourselves, he chastens us. What does that word chasten mean? That word chasten means to correct or to discipline, you know. And uh, now, how does he correct us? How does he discipline us? Well, let me just give you a a few things. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Uh, He'll use his word, the word of God, the holy written word. I've already had the Lord really deal, deal with me over the years just through reading his word. And, you know, there's been things in my life over the years that, you know, hadn't, hadn't been right, that shouldn't be there. And maybe I hadn't been judging myself as quick as I could. And I'm reading the Word. And the Lord just, just, just dealt with me with His Word and just cut some things out of me with His Word. Does that ever happen to you? Amen. And by the Holy Spirit, you know? And, and, and really, really, we could say it this way. That, that, con- that, you know, our heart condemning us, our heart convicting us, really, that's all intertwined with His Word and His Holy Spirit. Because I said a moment ago, the Holy Spirit, if you're born again, He's on the inside of your spirit, isn't He? He's on the inside there, right? Is that right? And so really, the, the, the Word of God and the, the Holy Spirit, that's all intertwined with your heart condemning you. But did you know that the Lord has another way of... Uh, chastising us and, 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 and correcting us. And, uh, and, and it's this. It's through, through ministers, through your pastor, through ministers. Now, this is a part of my, my job, my calling. Really, I, it's a calling. Not, not, I never have looked at this as a job. It's a calling. And uh, it's not one of the parts of my calling that I enjoy. But uh, sometimes I have to stand up here and, and teach and preach messages that I'd just as soon rather not teach and preach. Messages that bring, you know, chastening or correction to the body of Christ. Uh, but if I'm going to be doing my calling the way I should be, there's going to be lots of times I stand up here and I, and I teach and preach and it's the goodness of God and it's uplifting and all of that. But there's some times where I have to stand in any pastor that's worth his salt, any minister that's worth his keep, at times is going to have to stand in the pulpit and flow with the Holy Spirit and teach things from the Word of God that's going to step on your toes. Now, if, if I were you, I would not attend a church where the pastor never takes the word of God and steps on your toes. 
Did you hear what I just said? Because I'll guarantee it to you, you're in the wrong place. If the, if the pastor never... Now, I didn't say the pastor is just, just steps on your toes because he's just rude and crude. You understand? I'm talking about the pastor taking the word of God. And just in a setting like this, where nobody would even know I was talking to you, and just takes the word of God and, and steps on your toes, if that's never, ever happening, I'll guarantee it to you, you're not in the right church. Because the pastor, if he's really flowing with the Spirit of God, there's going to be times, at times, he'll say some things that will step on your toes. Now, now let the Spirit of God flow through your pastor, who, whoever your pastor may be. If Maybe you're visiting today and I'm not your pastor. Maybe you need to hear this. Let the Spirit of God flow through your pastor, through the Holy Written Word, to step on your toes... Because if the Spirit of God's having the, the man of God step on your toes, your toes need stepping on. Amen. Do you think I get some kind of jollies out of stepping on your toes? I don't. I'd rather just preach, you know, hip, hip, hoorah all the time, you know. But you see, sometimes a minister has to do that at the direction of the Spirit of God. And usually when he's using the minister to preach a message, teach a message that, that is stepping on your toes, I'll tell you, it's because you haven't judged yourself. And you haven't listened to your heart. And you haven't listened to the Spirit of God. You haven't listened to the Word that you've been, the Word of God that you've been reading and studying. So now it's because God loves you. He'll move on, on my heart to get up here and preach a message that steps on your toes. What, what, what do you think God is thrilled to step on your toes? No, it's, it's to get you back to a place that you need to be. So the power of God can be to the full in your life. Did you hear me? Now, Sometimes God will send a minister to somebody to bring correction privately. Privately. How many of you know David sinned? Didn't he, King David? How many of you know he did? And, and, and God sent Nathan the prophet to him and dealt with him privately. Amen. Did you notice I said privately? Did you know God's not in the business of embarrassing people the only time that 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 would ever that 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 there would ever be any kind of public correction in the bible does talk talk about that to some to, to some degree but that's on, that would only be after much private warning private warning and people aren't listening and then you might have to in severe severe cases you might have to deal with somebody back in the office, and if they wouldn't listen there, then you might have to deal with somebody publicly. I, to tell you the truth, I've never even come close to, to that in all these years of having to do that. But I have stood in the... Uh, and there might have been a time or two over the years where the Lord had me deal with somebody privately. But for the most part, I'd say 99.8% of the time, it's just through these messages here. Just through these messages that the Lord will bring correction to you. If you need it. But you see, if you judge yourself, then you'd not be judged. But when we are judged, we're chastened to the Lord. 
were corrected by God. How does he do it? Well, primarily through his word and his Holy Spirit. But see, if you won't listen to your heart and the the word of God and the Holy Spirit, then he'll have a minister stand up like this and, and teach a message that may step on your toes. Now, notice in 2 Chronicles, the 26th chapter. Let's look at an instance of this. Let's go there quickly. 2 Chronicles, Old Testament here, chapter 26. Talks about King Uzziah. Now, notice this. He, uh, he sought God as a youngster and the hand of God came on him and God lifted him up and prospered him and all that. But notice in verse 16, when he was about 68 years old, give or take, he, he had become strong. Notice his heart was lifted up, prideful, to his destruction. This is Second Chronicles 26, 16. For notice, he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Well, see, he was a king, but now he's, he's wanting to be a priest. You know, all of us ought to just find out what God's called us to do and stay in it. Is that right? Amen. Now, notice he's missing it, isn't he? He's missing it. He's the king. Uzziah, you could read verses 1 through 15 and see he's the king, but now he wants to do the work of the priest. And so notice he's missed it. Now God's going to chasten him. Now look at verse 70. So Uzziah the priest went in after him, went in after the king, King Uzziah, and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men, and they withstood King Uzziah. They're correcting him. He was doing something he shouldn't do. It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests. The sons of Aaron who are consecrated to burn incense, get out of the sanctuary, for you've trespassed. You'll have no honor from the Lord God. Now, you see, this was God's goodness sending these ministers to the king to bring correction to him. He's he's getting ready to do something that's going to harm him, that's going to hurt him. It was a dangerous thing what he was doing. He was a king and he's trying to work as the priest. He's making a mistake. I personally believe God dealt with this guy, with Uzziah, before the priest got to him. And he wouldn't listen because it's God's method of operation. And, and, and he wouldn't listen to him. So now here come the priests and they've brought correction to him. And they said, Uzziah, don't, don't do that. It's not, it's not your place to do that. And they withstood him. Now what Uzziah should have done right there is said, okay, all right, okay, thanks for pointing that out. I, I needed to hear that. But look at what he did. In verse 19, then Uzziah became what? He became, he became furious. He became furious and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priests. Now, why was he angry with the priests? Because, see, they were doing their calling. They were doing what they were supposed to do. They were in there at the instruction of the Lord. He, see, Uzziah wouldn't listen to the Lord. I'm convinced of it as the Lord dealt with him. So now God sends the priests in to deal with him. See, God's bringing correction. God's bringing chastising, bringing correction. But see, while he was angry with the priests. Now, why was he angry with the priests? Because the priests were pointing out his wrongdoing. You know, there's a lot of Christians in this land that are angry with the minister. I've got people over the years mad as a wet hornet at me. There's still some people today mad as a wet hornet at me. Because I just simply stood 
in the pulpit. I, I didn't call them out and embarrass them. I, God doesn't operate that way. But I just doing my job up here, you know. And when I'm preaching stuff that they like, pastor, boy, this is the place for me. And then I preach a message that steps on their toes, and they get mad. You know, it's it's it, it, you know, it's a dangerous thing to be mad at the minister that was just doing what he was supposed to do. There's some people that I know not that, that uh, people that are mad at other ministers. People that you wouldn't even know, people I know that they're mad at the pre- they're mad at the minister, they're mad at the pastor because the pastor told them the truth. I'm not talking about situations now where the pastor was just was just got over in the flesh and said things that he shouldn't have said. I'm talking about you know men of God that have stood in pulpits and just taught messages and uh, people didn't want to hear them and so they get angry. And while he was angry with the priests, now now how many of you know he should have repented, shouldn't he? But he didn't. And notice what happens. Leprosy broke out on his forehead. Now there's, I mean, that's what happened. Before the priest in the house of the Lord, beside the incense altar, and desire of the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead he was leprous. So they thrust him out of the place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. See, the Lord judged him. See, there was he wouldn't listen to the to the to the priests, and now see the judgment has gotten more severe. Do you hear me? I said the judgment has gotten more severe. See, this is a side of God that doesn't get talked about a whole lot. We need to talk about it every now and again, wouldn't you think? I'm not trying to scare you. (laughs) This is just... And uh, verse 21, King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. And he dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. That indicates to me that he never did repent. If he'd have repented, the judgment would have stayed, stopped. Some people can just get so... See, he had been the king from the time he was 16. He'd been the king for like 52 years. And uh, he became strong and I guess he was just used to having things done his way. And... uh, I believe he got to the point where he wasn't pliable. And there was a day when this guy used to seek the Lord and was pliable to the things of God. And he got, I guess it just, the Bible said he got strong. He got haughty. His heart was lifted up. And he, he stepped out of his office and uh, God sent a priest to him, sent the minister to him to bring correction. Wouldn't listen. Got angry with the minister. So then the judgment became more severe. I'm convinced because I know God's MO, method of operation and judgment. If, if he would have repented, that judgment would have stopped that quick and he could have got back to the house of the Lord. I said he could have got back to the house of the Lord. He didn't get back to the house of the Lord, I'm convinced, because he, he, he wouldn't repent. It, typically when people repent in the Bible, the Bible tells us that they repented. Sobering, isn't it? Sobering, isn't it? Go to, let's go to Revelation, the second chapter. And verse 1. I want to note some things here. 
about uh, two of these churches in the book of Revelation. There's seven churches mentioned. We could look at all seven of them, but we'll just look at uh, two of them here. Now, uh, some of these things we're going to talk about in these two churches, you can, you can see God, God's method of operation in the other churches, but we'll just, we'll just look at two of them, and I think that'll get the point across. Do you know that these churches were chastened by the Lord Jesus Christ through the minister John? Didn't Jesus appear to John on the Isle of Patmos? And didn't he have John send a letter to the pastors of these churches? So, so you see, there were some things going on in these churches that should not have been going on, and the pastors weren't dealing with some things that they should have been dealing with, and now Jesus is going to deal with them through the minister. Now, let me see if you're learning anything. Does God want it to get to the point where I have to stand up here and step on your toes? No. What should happen when you miss it, your heart does what? Condemns you and you should judge yourself right there and that'd be the end of it. Is that right? But, it, but if, you don't listen to your, if you don't listen to your heart, you don't listen to the Word of God and the Spirit, Holy Spirit of God that's dealing with your heart, then God's next, next thing in line is He'll have the minister stand in the pulpit and preach or teach a message like this where nobody would ever even know I was talking to you. I mean, maybe your spouse might know. I'll give you a hint if you're the spouse. When I'm stepping on your spouse's toes, don't nudge him or her in the side and say, you know, if you do that, it'll, it'll just, it'll, they'll just stop. They'll just shut me off. You just sit there quiet, even though you know I'm talking to your spouse. You just sit there quiet, just keep smiling and just pray that they'll hear what, because you can't change them anyway. Just pray that they'll hear what the... Just pray the eyes of their understanding will be enlightened. And, and then while you're praying that for them, they're probably sitting there praying that for you, you know. <laughs> uh, look right here. Verse 1, chapter Revelation 2, 1. Church in Ephesus. Look at this. To the angel. You're not going to write a letter to an angel. He's talking about the messenger, the pastor of the church of Ephesus. Right. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. That's talking about pastors. If we had time, the Bible's clear on that. The stars there were symbolic of pastors. Who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Those were symbolic of those local churches. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. See, that's Jesus's... Let me, you can add something to his MO if you want, his method of operation. He always points out the good first. He just does. And then if there's anything that needs to be corrected, then he, then he talks about this. Verse 4, Nevertheless, nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Who's our first love? Jesus. These people, they, they, they were hard church workers. You know, you can be a hard church worker and your relationship with the Lord Jesus not be as fervent as it should be. And then notice, he said, you've left your first love. And then he says, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else... 
I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now notice we're talking about God judging His people here. And here you see Jesus is talking to this church through John. And notice, did He point out all the good first? Yes. Did He warn them about some things they needed to correct? Yes. And did He say that correct this or else? Did He give them some warning? Yes. Did he give the nature of what the judgment was going to be? Yes. I'm going to remove the lampstand. Actually, that means, I'll put it in my own words, that lampstand was, was symbolic of the church. He said, get this, I'll put it in my own words, get this fixed or I'm going to come quickly and shut the church down. Unless you repent. He's looking for repentance, you see. So they were given time to repent. Do you know if you study this out, ultimately they did not repent and many, many years later that church did close. Now Jesus said he was coming quickly. Remember last Wednesday night, I talked to you about when Jesus says quickly, you need to realize that's quickly from his perspective. See, quickly to me is a couple of days. Quickly to him could could be 40, 50, 60 years. Do you understand that? And ultimately this church, it it happened just like what Jesus said. Ultimately they didn't repent. And then the judgment became more severe and he closed it. Now then in Revelation, the second chapter in the 20th verse, let's look at Thyatira, the church in Thyatira. Notice this, the church in Thyatira. Revelation 2.20, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. We'll just pick up there. Because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. See, the pastor there was letting this lady, nothing wrong with having a lady minister, nothing at all wrong with that. It it had nothing to do with the fact she was a lady. It had to do with the fact that she was teaching things and doing things she shouldn't have been doing that were sinful, you see. And so John... Jesus has John write to this pastor to tell him to get this corrected. And notice verse 21. Jesus says, I gave her what? I gave her what? I gave, what did he give her? Time to what? To repent. Does he give us time? Does he warn before judgment? Does he give us time to repent? Yes. See, if that time runs out, then his judgment will get more severe, you see. And he'll judge. It'll be sometimes severe, very severe. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. So does he tell, does he warn what the judgment's going to be? Unless they what? Repent of their deeds. Is he looking for repentance? Yeah. And and if they repent, none of that stuff's going to happen. Is that right? And then you see God's MO in here, his method of operation. Then he says, verse 23, I'll kill her children with death. Now that children does not mean little babies. It means those who follow her false doctrine. Her students, if you will, who, who are, who are following that false doctrine and propagating that false doctrine. See, there is a judgment side to God. 
And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I'll give to each one of you according to your works. I'll kill her children, not little babies now, but those who follow with her and propagate, propagate that false doctrine with death. Uh, we saw a moment ago where uh, Uzziah withstood the priests and got angry and didn't repent. Leprosy broke out. Is that right? Is that correct? Yes. Now, now, you see, Uzziah was withstanding the priest, angry with the priest. Do you remember, uh, it's one thing to be angry with the priest. It's another thing to conspire against the priest or against the minister. When I say priest, I mean minister. Pastor. Do you remember Moses? How many remembers Moses? And the people would murmur and complain against him and Aaron, his brother. Is that right? And, and God would bring judgment. Is that right? We'll talk more about that as we go in a future session. I remember, how many of you remember Korah? Anybody remembers Korah? And that man, you know, and there were some others with him. They conspired against Moses, didn't they? Didn't they? They thought they could do better, a better job than Moses. They were upset because God wasn't using them like uh, he was using Moses. And much I could say, and you know what? Uh, the ground opened up and swallowed them up. Is that right? You remember that, don't you? You remember reading about that in Sunday school, don't you? Some of you. It, it, it happened. See, there is a judgmental side to God. It's one thing to be angry with the priest. It's another thing to conspire against and right here talks about, you know, he warns. He didn't just come in there and just start bringing this kind of judgment in. He warned ahead of time, didn't he? Didn't he? I'll kill her children with death. Those who follow with her and conspire with her is what that's talking about. But he gave fair warning, didn't he? Now, while I'm on that, we'll just begin to close right here. Remember Acts, the fifth chapter? How many, there's a famous or infamous couple over there named Ananias and Sapphira. Remember them? And remember they were part of that church? And remember uh, they, they sold a piece of land and they held back part of it? Now, they, now, now they were under no obligation to do anything concerning the, the, the offering of the Lord. You know, I mean, really. But they, they, they held back apart, but they came in and made it look like they were given it all. You know, we need to be very watchful about tithes and offerings and making a show concerning. Is that right? And they came in and really they were being hypocritical. And they were, they were trying to put on a show. I think it's clear. They were trying to get the people of that church to think that they were something that they weren't. To get the people to think that they were big givers when they weren't. I don't talk about giving and that stuff, you know. I don't, I mean, somebody, they, if somebody gave a million dollars to this church, they'd get treated like the person that, that, that doesn't, that, that attends regularly but doesn't put in a dime. I believe that's the way God wants it. Doesn't he talk about over in the book of James about when rich people come in and you give them the best seats and the poor people you make sit in the back? The Lord doesn't like that, does he? You treat everybody equal. But Ananias and Sapphira came in 
and he came in first. Three hours later, she comes in, and they were, they were, they were hypocritical. They were saying one thing, doing another. They were putting on a show concerning their offering, their tithe and offering. And, uh, and, and you can read about it over there in Acts, the fifth chapter. And he falls down dead. Three hours later, she shows up. Peter asks her the same question, essentially, that he asked her husband. She lies too, and she falls down dead. Now, in God's method of operation, do you think that's the first time they did that? I don't think so. Do you think that their heart was condemning them about that? Huh? I believe, I believe so. I believe God had dealt with them. I believe He had warned them. Now, now there's no record, so, you know, uh, uh, but, but just knowing God and His method of operation. And they were not baby Christians either. God doesn't, doesn't, did you know that God, don't you expect more out of a 21-year-old than you expect out of a one-year-old? Same thing's true in the spiritual realm. They weren't baby Christians that came in there and, no, and, and it, God had them fall dead and ju- He judged them fall dead. No. I believe to fit God's method of operation in, in judgment, he, uh, he had de- their hearts had condemned them. He dealt with them. I'm convinced of it. And... Uh, and he judged them, and the, and the judgment was severe. Uh, now, I'm just speculating with you. So this is just my opinion. Opinions are like noses. Everybody has one. So this may be right, may be wrong, what I'm about to say now. Somebody asked me one time, why was that judgment so severe? Why did they fall down dead? See, I'm not trying to scare you here this morning. I'm just trying to just talk to you a little bit. About God's judgment. Why'd they fall, why'd they fall down dead? Why did, why, why did that happen? Could it be that if, they, that if they persisted on, that they might have gotten to the point where they walked away from the Lord Jesus altogether? Be better to fall dead in church and go to heaven than... I mean, I don't know if that's right or not, but it's something to chew on, isn't it? Also, too, and I'm just speculating... You know what that means? It's my opinion. Perhaps they were influential people in the church. Perhaps, perhaps they were getting ready to take that church off in a wrong direction or, or come against Peter. I don't know. Maybe they were. Maybe there are some other things going. I don't know. I re, how many remembers William Branham? Anybody remembers William Branham? And uh, he was a, a prophet of God and all of that, in my opinion. But in his later life, later life, he got off into some false doctrine. It was really bizarre false doctrine. And uh, he was leading a whole lot of people astray. And, uh, and evidently, the Lord judged him, took his hand off of him. We're going to talk about, you know, one of God's judgments is he just withdraws his hand. It's called being delivered over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. We're going to talk about that in, in a future session. Be sure to come and hear that. I think you'll find it interesting. But uh, uh, and, and we'll talk about we'll look at examples where God judged people after He dealt with them and dealt with them. Uh, that's what happened to Samson. Uh, remember, God dealt with him and dealt with him. And dealt, finally, He took His hand off of him, turned him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. But and Samson got back to God, didn't he? Didn't he? But he died young too, didn't he? And are you still out there? 
And uh, William Branham, he was leading a whole, beginning to lead and in the process of leading a whole lot of people astray in, in doc, into doctrinal error. And I think it's clear to me, again, this is my opinion, that God took his hand off of him, turned, delivered him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, and, and then he, 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 he died, you see. He was killed in a car accident. Wasn't the, wasn't the perfect will of God. Now, I'm just speculating there. I'm just speculating there. But I, what I am saying is, is that God doesn't just come in and just bring judgment and bring, bring you know, something on baby Christians like that. I believe Ananias had fair warning. I believe that. I believe they had fair warning. And uh, anyway, that judgment was pretty severe. You know, it's a dangerous thing to lie to the Holy Ghost. It's a dangerous thing to lie to a man or a woman of God, particularly when they're under the anointing. It's a dangerous thing to be talking about ministers and preachers. I'm not just saying that because I'm a minister and a preacher. I'd say that even if I wasn't a minister or a preacher. We need to wake up and look at some things. Amen? And you know, I talked about the fact of them being baby Christians. You know, do you know, uh, remember a while ago when I said, uh, and I asked you a question, you expect more out of your 21-year-old than you do out of your one-year-old. Is that right? Is that right? Uh, did you know, uh, did you ever notice, did you ever notice, how many remembers Uzzah? Not Uzziah, but Uzzah. Aren't you glad you're not named some of the names of these people? U-Z-Z-A, Uzzah. Remember him? There's one guy in there named Publius. How many is glad they're not named Publius? But Uzzah. Remember, he's the one that steadied the Ark of the Covenant and fell down dead right beside the Ark, the Bible says, for the Lord struck him or judged him. How many remembers that? First time I read that, I thought, oh my, you know, because I was a younger, younger, uh, younger guy at the time, and I, I read that, and I, I thought, oh my gosh, I, do I really want to go into ministry? And, you know, I mean, he just steadied up, a, a steadied up the Ark, and he falls dead. But as years came and went, I began to study about that and look about look at that, you know. And you see, Uzzah, he, that ark, see, they put that ark on a new cart. Remember, that ark had been with the Philistines. Remember that? But yet then when David goes and his guys go to get that ark and bring it back, they put it on a new cart. Remember that? pulled by oxen and they're going to bring it back to Jerusalem on that new cart, you know? How many remembers that? And, and, the, and the, they hit a bump in the road or something like that and the ark started to fall over and Uzzah went to steady it and the Bible says the Lord struck him. The judgment of God hit him and he fell dead right side the ark. How many, do you remember that? Think about this. When that ark was over with the Philistines, I'm sure that they touched that ark and handled it, they didn't fall dead. But why did Uzzah fall dead? If you study it out, Uzzah, was a, he was a priest. He understood. He, he was well studied and well versed on how that ark was supposed to be transported. He knew full well that that ark was not supposed to be put on a cart or anything else. It was supposed to be moved by the priests and they put those, those, those bars, you know, through and they held it on the shoulders and that's the way it was supposed to be transported. Do you remember that? 
See, Uzzah knew that. He knew better. He knew better. He knew better. But he's just going to go ahead and just, we'll just do it the easy way. We'll do it the new way. We'll do it this other way. And he fell dead. See, God expected more out of him than he expected out of the Philistines. They're just a bunch of sinners that didn't know any better. And they had the ark and they must have been handling it or whatever. They didn't fall dead because they didn't know what Uzzah knew. And, 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 and so when it's among the Philistines, they just, they, they don't fall dead. But it comes over among God's people. God, did you know God expects more out of us than He does out of the sinner? And did you know He expects more out of people who have grown in the Lord than He does out of spiritual babies? And did you know He expects more out of people who have heard the Word of God be taught in an uncompromised fashion than He does out of people who haven't, who haven't heard as much and walked in as much light as you do, you see? You need to realize that. And Uzzah was, was well-versed and well-trained and he knew he wasn't supposed to be uh, moving that ark that way, but he did it anyway. And it stumbles and he goes to steady it and he falls dead. He tried to bring it back on a new cart. On a new cart. Did you ever read that over there? On a new cart. They were trying to bring the power of God back to, the, to, the, to Jerusalem. They were trying to bring the power of God. See that Ark of the Covenant represented the power of God and the presence of God. They were trying to get the presence of God back. They were trying to get the power of God back by doing something new. But I tell you what, we won't get the power of God back by doing some newfangled thing. We need to get back to doing what it takes to get the power of God and that's living holy, sanctified lives, walking holy before the Lord and, and being people who pray and seek the face of God and, and, and as we do that we'll see the presence of God get stronger and the power of God come back to the house of God the way he wants it can you say amen amen, amen. God expects some things out of us I said he expects some things out of us I want you to stand here with me today As we close this message, heads bowed and eyes closed. We're teaching here on the theme of revival. The theme of revival. The theme of revival. The theme of revival. What's the message of revival? It's God's impending judgment together with His goodness. What's the result of revival? People coming to repentance. Sinners repenting and getting saved. Church folk, people who are already born again, people who are already saved, consecrating themselves and dedicating themselves again to God. The result of revival is repentance and then the joy of the Lord that comes with that repentance. Hallelujah. So as this music plays with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to invite anybody who's here today that you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You've never repented of your sins and you've never placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we dismiss here just moments there'll be some men and some women standing up here with some name tags on 
be sure you get to one of them and just tell them, say, hey, I need to accept Jesus as my Savior. I've never done that. Or you know what, I, I, I accepted him a long time ago, but I've been so far away from 